Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at CAMH. .ca/canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hi. Just a quick note to let you know that there's some explicit stuff in today's episode. Beyond swears. Not a good idea to listen to this one around kids. No, don't, yeah, don't don't do that. No. Right. Point that at your mouth. Get a little closer. Voila. Um I don't even remember how, like, we'd been talking and then I invited you in here to tell you that, you know, maybe you could start uh, writing for the site and then you just sort of showed up and didn't leave. More or less. And then a month later it turned into this. This is your first story for Canada Land and, and, it's, and it's the Amanda Lang story. Yes. Sean Craig, welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Elena Unisov, Dean Audia, Brett Gaylor, James Lepp, Imogen Burchard, Ian Ferguson, Matthew Harper, Craig Ginther, William O'Hanley, and Lorna Dodd. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars and I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what 
Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. So I don't want us to take like a victory lap here. That's not the purpose of this. Um, you know, and I don't declare victory. I mean, beyond the victory of just having told a story that is true and that is holding up and that needed to be told. Um, but this is a show where we talk about how the media is handling the big stories of the week. And a big story of this week was our story, was your story, Sean, about Amanda Lang and RBC and the conflict of interest and Kathy Tomlinson. So I think it's totally on for us to talk about how the media has has dealt with that story as it's gotten picked up and as it's reverberated through the Canadian media. Sure. You know, you were taking contention earlier today about the way we've been referred to in the media. Well, that's complicated, is, but yeah. Uh, as, a, as a way of disparaging the story, sort of on those terms, right? We've been called a muckraking website. McLean's. Um, yeah, we've, uh, but I think the star in the globe are relatively respectful. We were called a news website and a media website. Um, Post Media simply called us Canada Land. It was, it was the CBC itself that came back and it said that I wrote on Jennifer McGuire's word, his blog. And that was probably the the most corrosive attempt at sort of you know disassociating the story from anything credible. Was, yeah, was, I mean, you know, I mean, it depends. People will say we're reading too much into it, but I I, I think it's it was clearly a dismissive, sneering way of of describing us. I mean, I, this is all complicated because calling us a news website is a okay by me, and uh, calling us muckrakers is interesting, isn't it? I think it's great. It's putting us in a historical context with people that I love. Yeah, it's okay with me. To be disparaged. It's totally fine. Okay, so it's fun. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It's not my own little private kingdom. And and now I'm publishing other journalists. And there is a sense of like, well, if you are content to take our stories and run with them, as McLean's did, and summarize them, uh, and then call us muckrakers, is there a question of professional courtesy here? I don't know. That's not that's not my primary concern. But I am bringing it up. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'm less concerned with how they describe us uh, than I am with how they describe our story. The first round of headlines that ran was all about um, Lang's denials. That was the headline. Lang denies the accusations. CBC denies the accusations. And I, I just resist this, like, this instinct of the press that substantive accusations themselves are newsworthy. It is not 
the fact that, you know, Lang deigned to deny them that makes this a news story. And if you accept that, that this only becomes news once there's a denial, then you hand to somebody who's facing accusations the power to just simply not respond to accusations. And then that keeps it out of the mainstream news. And that was an effective strategy for lots of people who've been accused of things throughout the years. Yeah, it's even worked in this case. We've seen today that, you know, and Radio Canada was reporting on this, that the CBC wasn't talking to the CBC. And so in their story that they published, Radio Canada reached out to their management for comment. They didn't provide comment. Radio Canada reached out to Amanda Lang for comment. She didn't reply for comment. And so you are seeing an instance where even when our story has you know, made it through and it's broken the glass ceiling, I suppose, and been picked up by the mainstream media – uh, they're still kind of using us as a vehicle to say, oh, we don't have to deal. You know, there's no reason to give credible comment to this. The same way, that, you know, the star used Gawker as a shield uh, to publish the Ford story uh, initially. And, you know, and I guess the star used Gameshi's Facebook post as a shield. You know, it's always like letting somebody else say it. I like when you've got the CBC refusing to comment. I mean, Reddit kind of for those who don't know, is, of course, French CBC. When you've got the CBC refusing to comment to CBC, uh, we're, we're through the looking glass here, people. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. But I'd also add that this can be construed as a good story for the CBC. There was great reporting it's that was done. It's a great story about the CBC. It's it, great reporting that was done. It's it, 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 like, it totally attests to how much talent is in that newsroom, which a lot of people know about. There are great reporters there, and a lot of them have been on Twitter tweeting in solidarity with Kathy Tomlinson or retweeting our interview with her in solidarity with her. Where this falls and where this ultimately ends up, and I've said this on other interviews, is with CBC management's response to it. And Kathy said it herself. This isn't about Amanda Lang. It's about the way that management has allowed a culture that is, you know, that's allowed persistent conflicts of interest or potentials for conflicts of interest to penetrate and to oftentimes compromise the journalism that's being put out. Oftentimes the audience isn't aware of it. And so that means that it's an even bigger problem when stories like ours come out that make the audience aware of it in hindsight, because that seems even worse. Uh, it, it doesn't take much to disclose a conflict of interest. And we've said that before. You have two choices. Recuse yourself because there is a ton of talent at the CBC. It's not like there wasn't another business journalist or another business anchor who couldn't have interviewed Gord Nixon. We saw Christine Barak do amazing the day before. And in fact, when Lang had been married to uh, uh, to a guy who was at uh – uh, the gold company. Uh, Barrick, yes. To, at Barrick, she, would recu- she wouldn't cover them. She would recuse herself. This is a story of CBC journalists at uh, in conflict with a CBC celebrity to tell the public an important story. And now it is also a story about CBC journalists winning despite management's backing of the CBC celebrity over CBC's own journalism and now against their credibility. But this is, this is a triumph of CBC journalism. That's the story we told. And it can ultimately be a triumph for the CBC. There's nothing to say that Jennifer McGuire and CBC management can't finally put to rest this conflict of interest problem. They, you know, Frank Kohler's been reporting on his blog how they still haven't been meeting their own standards, that they, you know, they, they changed their conflict of interest policy in April and they continue to ignore it. Um, we've reported on that. Frank Kohler's reported on it. They can end this now by fixing it. And that and that's good for Amanda Lang, too. That means she can be a presenter. That means she can be credible. That means she can do good journalism, which she has done in the past, which I think she has the capacity to do in the future. Yeah. I mean, we can't be the coach of the CBC. I mean, I think you're right. And I think I love the names of their of their respective, you know, brands of the CBC go public in the exchange. And that's that's the choice the CBC has. CBC has here is like, do you want to like who, who, who are you backing? Does the CBC want to go public or does the CBC want their journalism to be an exchange? And, you know, unfortunately, Unfortunately, they've made their choice and that's, you know, that's their concern. We're just here to tell the story of it. Uh, I also kind of think off of that that 
Oh, geez, I just lost my train of thought. What were you just saying? I completely, like, I haven't I, slept in days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sean's going to be editing the website, and I, I wanted you all to meet him. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about the Charlie Hebdo cartoons, and joining me is uh, freelance journalist Jeet Heer, who uh, writes for the Paris Review, the Globe and Mail, maybe Canada Land. Jeet, how you doing? I'm doing fine. It's good to be on. Some commentators are calling for the mass publishing of the exact cartoons of Muhammad that drew the threats. So we should not just say, just sweet Charlie today. We should do what Charlie did and stick our necks out just a smidgen. We cannot uh, and should not dic- allow the religious convictions of any group, no matter how deeply felt, to dictate what we can and cannot write, what we can and cannot show. I would say that the decision not to publish the cartoon of Muhammad was gutless. We didn't publish these things the day before Charlie Hebdo out of respect for Muslims in Canada. Why would we do it the the next day? CBC standards apparently include offending Catholics but keeping Muslims happy. Yet at their newsrooms, they were just happy, more than happy, to claim Je suis Charlie and tweet out photos of their people holding up a sign to show their bravery. Okay, Jeet, um, this is not an apology, really. Uh, but I, there is something I want to say. So last week, uh, Canada Land published the, the, the Hebdo car- I, I published the Charlie Hebdo cartoons, the most offensive ones. And, and I said on, on the program that everybody should. And I said that we all have to stand with Charlie Hebdo. And I got, you know, a ton of backlash to that. Uh-huh. Many people out there disagree with me. They disagree with my argument. They disagree with my position on this. I don't apologize for that. Like, it's okay if we disagree. And it's not a requirement uh, for the people who listen to the show, people who support the show, that they have to agree with me. But I once read a definition of a gentleman. Okay, uh, bear with me here. I once read that a gentleman is someone who never offends anyone unless he intends to. That's a good definition. I think so too. And I, I think that last week I offended people who I did not intend to offend because I was speaking. I was speaking shortly after learning about the slaughter of these cartoonists, and I was speaking perhaps with more emotion than clarity. And I just want to like try to do a better job of explaining what I think than I did last week. So very quickly, before we get into it, because I, I, I'm much more interested in what you have to say about these cartoons, but there are two reasons to run those cartoons. And the first is uh, that they are central documents to a, a, a news story. Um, to that, to that question, uh, we didn't run them yesterday. Why would we run them today? Because before that slaughter took place, they were not the instigating factor in a major internationally relevant news story. Those people got killed because they drew those cartoons. You cannot report that story properly without showing the cartoons. I do not think that words can describe a cartoon, and that's something I really want to talk about with you, Jeet. Um, but that's the first reason is that just that that's the job is to report the news. Um, the second reason, and this is the point that I think I expressed rather poorly, uh, and which I think maybe has been expressed poorly throughout this controversy, is the freedom of speech issue. So it's not a chest-thumping freedom of speech as an ideological stance to uh, print the cartoons. It's not a symbolic gesture or like uh, allegiance with freedom as a concept. It's a practical strategy. Like we are in the business of publishing words and pictures and sounds and I, I need to be free to publish as 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 big a, a menu of words and pictures and sounds as possible. And these are fascists who want to take off the list of things that I can depict or say. They want to take off that list of things that can be said freely, depictions of their profit, and that's their goal. And they use murder to achieve it. So the only practical response, I believe, 
is to take the specific documents that violence is being used to suppress and blast them everywhere. And everybody who's in this business of wanting to have freedom of speech for your own practical purposes needs to blast them everywhere. Otherwise, like any asshole with a gun gets to say what's on the list of things that can be said and can't. Any asshole who's able to type a threat in an email gets to say which movies can be released. So when I say that we all have to stand with Charlie Hebdo, I'm not saying you have to stand with their racism, which I think there is some racism there. Um, I'm saying that that you know you 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 have to stand with the the you have to stand with those of us who want to say things and that the, 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 the answer to speech is more speech the answer to bad speech is more speech and standing with Charlie Hebdo just means standing with with that so that is what I meant to say that's what I'm saying now and if that offends you at least I'm offending you on purpose does that make sense sure sure yeah yeah there's a kind of a facile solidarity that's been going on where people are saying just sweet charlie like everyone is saying that which is kind of ironic because it was like a magazine that really shocked people so uh, when people say just sweet charlie i'm not quite sure what they mean i mean just as a you know example one of the cartoons that they published showed the three parts of the trinity the father the son and the holy ghost engaging in an anal sex sandwich that's me <laughs> is that is that is that what we're saying so, so i think there's a couple of different things to unpack from what you said why publish the cartoons and the the best and most solid reason is the newsworthy aspect but that that in itself needs to be Unpacked a little bit because Charlie Hebdo got into controversy before. There had actually been a long history of the French government trying to suppress the, this magazine, right? They did a cartoon where somebody is taking a crap in a baptismal font. And again, that, that was a newsworthy event. The French government tried to have the editors arrested, tried to suppress that issue, prevent distribution. And again, I don't remember, you know, in like 1971 or 72, seeing uh, opening up the Globe and Mail and seeing somebody taking a crap in a baptismal font. No, not, not to say that they shouldn't have. Like, I actually think that they should have. But I think it's, it's fair to say these sorts of free speech issues do uh, present problems. You know, like Charlie Hebdo comes out of a tradition of radical underground cartooning, which has a sort of ancient roots in France, going back to before the French Revolution. And it also has a more specific origins in the sort of counterculture of the 60s and things like Robert Crumb. Now, in the early 70s, Robert Crumb and his colleagues at Zap Comics were doing like these incredibly, you know, filthy comics with like all sorts of like sexual activities. And, and they were busted for that, right? Like, it was a, a court case. And the New York Times, you know, or any other publication that was covering that wasn't reprinting those images, right? Like you do not see the, you know, the hardcore images of guys with huge hairy dicks spurting sperm all over the mouths of women. Uh, I, I've never seen that in the New York Times or the Globe and Mail. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> I, no, and 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 you know, even when it's newsworthy, right? Yeah, but newsworthy isn't a binary of like, oh, it's newsworthy, so now we can print anything. I think that it has something to do with the relation to the extremity of the story. This was a a a, a major story, you know, and and I'll, I'll say this about it, like. This is like – I'll try to use words to explain why you can't use words. If you were to describe like, oh, there's, there's uh, this horribly racist cartoon that depicts – you know, it's exaggerating uh, uh, Arab features in a uh, minstrelly or you know, whatever, a racialized, incredibly bigoted way and it depicts their prophet, uh, you know, uh, sodomizing a goat. Uh, you would say to yourself like – Oh my God, that sounds unspeakably awful. And certainly it's not justification for murder, but what a provocation. And then you actually see this silly juvenile drawing, 
you know, uh, just like a few dashed off lines. It looks like a Sergio Aragones Mad Magazine cartoon. And you'd say, you killed a bunch of guys for this? And, you know, it, you, you it, the words tell a very different story than these silly little pictures. And the silly little pictures beyond, you know, it, it's it's the hatefulness that a description of them describes – it's it's more like this is just pure juvenile provocation. It's it's it is in that tradition of what's the thing I'm not supposed to draw. It's this uh, cartooning um, tradition of drawing what's in the id, what is the unspoken, uh, and you know I, I'm you know you and I have like I met you because. You write critically about comics in, in, in a way that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm like a frustrated, failed underground car- cartoonist. And I had you on uh, Enright's show on the CBC to talk about comics um, years ago. And it's bizarre to me. It's so strange how this very insular little world of not just comics, but comics criticism, thinking about these nasty little pictures and whether or not they're saying something that's satirical and important and artistic uh, or whether or not they are just awful – it's it's this like very specific world that now has um, these massive and awful tragic implications. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of like on the same page that the images should be reprinted because of their news value and because of the kind of size of the story. Although, you know, you know, like Abu Ghraib, right, in Iraq, where they like did unspeakable torture. There were actual images that the New York Times and the New Yorker, they agreed with the government not to show them. Uh, And I believe, if if Seymour Hersh is right, those images have been destroyed. I'm of two minds. Like, I honestly think they should be somewhere. I don't want to see those images myself. But these things happen. These events happen. They happened with a government that Canada's allied with. You want them to be part of the public record. You don't want them hushed up, but at the same time, you don't want them on the front page. You don't, you, you want to have license as to whether or not you're exposed to them or not. Exactly. I mean, controlling information like that right now when something's incendiary, it, it, you know, that's an old media idea that you can like, well, we're going to put this, you're going to have to click through here, and then you're going to have to say that you're over 18. And, you know, but if it's, it gets, you know, you, you, you still have responsibility for putting it out there. Yeah, exactly. And But I think what's kind of missing from this conversation is that printing those cartoons, it has a bunch of effects, not just one effect. It does have a very useful effect of informing newspaper readers, you know, what's in the images, right? Like it's part of the informative part of the story. But the, the secondary effect is it's making a political statement that we are a society that's okay with images of Muhammad. This is acceptable, whereas other images, you know, like crumbs, blackface stuff or whatever, is not acceptable, right? And I, I think that's the defensible thing. Like, I actually don't think there should be any reason why anyone who is – well, for, I mean, first of all, there's no consensus among the Islamic world that depicting the prophet is wrong, right? Like, there's a long tradition of Islamic representations of the prophet, uh, mainly in the Shiite tradition in, in, in Iran. But, but, but even beyond that, if you're against depicting the prophet, that has to be like a personal, private thing. Like, I won't depict the prophet and I will try to stay away from images of the prophet, right? Yeah, it's like, I, I, may, I may not, you know, write G-O-D on, uh, like, a piece of paper and, and take the Lord's name in vain, but I can't expect everybody else to do the same. You, you actually made a wonderful point uh, on Twitter when you said, no one knows what the prophet Muhammad looked like, so... Uh, an image of the Prophet Muhammad is like the – it's not actually an image of the Prophet Muhammad 
What did you say? Well, it's, it's the offenses and the intent, right? Your offenses that you're saying, I, I'm trying to profit Muhammad. And I, I think it's actually the case that any, almost all these cartoons that have Muhammad do have some sort of like little sticker saying, you know, this is Muhammad, right? Because otherwise it's just like a generic, often racist Arab, right? It's like, it's like those editorial cartoons where it's like, they've got a guy in a suit and they've got to write on the back of his suit, Exxon, for you to understand the cartoon. That's the other thing. Like a lot of these are very bad cartoons for aesthetic reasons. Uh, but for a believing Muslim, Muhammad is a living flesh and blood person. He lived, he ascended into heaven, you know, he's God's last messenger. So like to insult Muhammad is the same as insulting a real person. And if you're a Muslim, it's like, they would be like insulting uh, um, someone's parents. So like if I did a cartoon showing Jesse Brown's dad fucking a goat, uh, I, I think you would take that personally, right? I don't know, maybe you wouldn't. Uh. <laughs> you, you make a wonderful point, which is like, I, I, and part of why I felt like I had to kind of say something to mitigate what, what I said last week is like, it's a phony bravado to say, I'm going to take on all of you believers. It's just words on a page. So that's me asserting my value system on you if I'm saying it's just words on a page. I, if you invest something spiritual and meaningful in that, I, I have at it. Like just, you know, I have nothing against you. Like it's, it's – there's – you know, it's, it's phony bravado for me to think that I'm doing anything actually meaningful in assaulting your value system. I have, I have no interest in doing that. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I want to say, say something about the, there's a divide I feel uh, on this issue, which is a. I, I mean, it's almost sad that there's a racial. It is sad that there's a racial divide, you know. But like that, you know, fuck you, free speech is everything. I just sweet Charlie, go to hell, you fanatics. That's a white response. Yeah, no, and I, and I I had those people after I published them saying like uh, you know uh, cheering me on and then saying things that I was not I was not comfortable standing in the same side side of this. You know, do I do I have to stand with those guys if I'm standing with Charlie? That's right. That's right. And and conversely, every piece I've seen, which is like has a kind of nuanced, thoughtful take, are pretty overwhelmingly... I mean, they're, they're, you get a few kind of like white leftists who are like, oh, Charlie Hebdo is racist or whatever. But I mean, it's overwhelmingly a people of color that are having that conversation. It's, and it's a conversation like about uh, like white bullying, you know? Like, like that's sort of like, like punching down that part. And I think, you know, I don't think satire can only punch in one direction or the other. Like it should punch in, you know, like Mad Magazine's motto used to be, you know, uh, a pie thrown in the closest face possible or something like that. The defense of Hebdo which is that we insult everybody in a polarized society with like real racism like how does that work like okay so if somebody said well jesse brown's a honky and g is a packy like you know hey i'm insulting everybody right <laughs> there's no problem with that right yeah there's there's some there's some pre-existing power structures that make one thing you know i, I can chuckle at that because honky doesn't cut at all with me i like I, that, that, no one's ever said that to me in anger or hate you know and it's hard to have this conversation especially in canada because you know, the Canadian media is like so frigging white. It's not even, it's whiter than our snow. It's whiter than cocaine. <laughs> you know, the offices of the Globe and Mail and the National Post are like whiter than a Mississippi country club in like 1940, right? It's super white. Actually, that Mississippi country club would have like a black maid. Uh, you know, it would have like greater diversity. <laughs> I, I, I haven't uh, done a survey of the janitorial staff of either of those institutions. Okay, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but you know what I mean. It's very, very white in the Canadian media. Very white. It's very white media, which means that the sort of, you know, like the more nuanced and intelligent conversations about something like this 
do not happen. And it's um But I don't I don't I don't know what the right conversation is. I mean the media has been obsessed. I I you know tweeted uh it was leaked to me the CBC's policy on not publishing the cartoons. I, I didn't even think it was worth a blog post. I just it didn't surprise me that they weren't gonna print them. I knew they weren't. They didn't they didn't print in two thousand and six the Muhammad cartoons. So I just I just I tossed it off as a as a tweet and it got retweeted over four hundred times and the media has been obsessed with this you know the conversation we've been having to publish or not to publish and there's this other conversation about race and about the wildly racist society in France specifically in Europe in general and perhaps globally that that, that is a part of this larger story and, and and then meanwhile there's another story here that you know I feel like is almost not even getting talked about which is that there's 12 people got killed and a bunch of people got killed in a supermarket for being Jewish the guy asked he asked their names and if their names sounded Jewish he, he shot them in the face you know so and, and you know as a news person it's like well are we missing the point here who are these these like um I- I- islamic people born in france who find their way to doing this thing that there's a, there's a there's a whole story behind that but i mean first you got to know what happened and what happened has to do with these cartoons so yeah and i had tweeted about this but i think art spiegelman's response to the Mohammed cartoons was i thought the most intelligent response uh and it's not surprising because oh yeah art's a pretty smart guy he's also a cartoonist of, of great talent and, and a provocative cartoonist he, he did racial provocation in cartoon form that's what that's what he did in the new yorker yeah that's right what what spiegelman did was and harper's did bravely and intelligently was you know they they put the cartoons in a context. Spiegelman did a long essay about the history of racist, provocative cartoons. Uh, they reprinted the cartoons and he did a commentary on each cartoon asking what it intended to say, how successful it was as a work of art. Interesting things came out of that because some of the cartoons were pretty clearly of anti-immigrant intent. They weren't really even about the Prophet Muhammad, except incidentally, right? And some of them tried to represent the Prophet in an abstract way that's you know perfectly compatible with Islamic art. I think that that's the approach to take. But I mean, I think it's a hard one for for the media to take for a bunch of different reasons. There's not a lot of like, you know, very intelligent comics critics that you could get. <laughs> I mean, no, honestly, like, oh my God, like like a greater bunch of dunderheads you'd, you've never met in your life. Gee, <laughs> uh, thank you for putting the images in context and, and this conversation in context. Yeah, okay, you're welcome. It was, it was good to be on. All right, that was Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always reach me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. Jeet, where can people find you? Uh, I'm a well-known clown on Twitter at uh, at here, Jeet. The website is at canadalandshow.com. The crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I produce this show with Andrew Norton, and the next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. If you like this show, support it. Uh, where are we going with this next? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.